Excellent. Good morning, everybody. How are we, how are we going this morning? As we mentioned, we're going to have a slightly shorter service today, so I'm going to get right to the point. Um, and uh, this was sort of uh, something I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks, um, and um, finally got a chance to put it all together. I just want to, maybe we just start, start in prayer. That's probably a good place to start. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you have, uh, that, that you have shown us, Lord God, your goodness and your mercy, Lord God, Lord, that, that we would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, Father. And we pray that our faith would be strengthened through this message, Lord God. We pray that your name would be glorified and that we would have a time of communion and community together. In your precious name, amen. 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 Now, Thomas, this is from uh, John 20, I thought we'll get right in. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, as he post his resurrection. So some of the other type disciples told him, oh, we've seen him. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side where, I, where, the, where the spear was, obviously, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, sorry, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, here, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Then Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and also believed. And uh, that uh, scripture really got me thinking about the nature of faith. And also this idea that there's like a, uh, it was kind of, actually it was kind of cool. See, Thomas had a slight advantage in that he walked with Jesus on earth when he was a man. And then he got to see Jesus post-resurrection and put his hands where the nails were, where the spear was on the side. So for him, like the barrier to faith was actually pretty high in the scheme of things. And, and there's various rationales with that. I think sometimes Thomas gets a bit of a hard rap, to be honest. Um, you know, how, how bad would it be if, if your, your sort of role in life was to be known as like the doubting guy? for all of eternity afterwards. Like, I, you know, the, the recorded... Most people, when they think of Thomas, they think of doubting Thomas. And it sometimes worries me a little bit that, that, that my life will end up being a, well, don't be like clumsy David or <laughs> spendthrift David. Or, or, you know, you get a moniker that really is, uh, really is you know, just, just your life is like a morality tale for other people. That, that sort of that worries me sometimes. Um, but so... But I think, uh, I, I think, to be honest, in the emotional turmoil of having followed someone for three years and then seeing them die, we're allowed to uh, give someone a little bit of slack when it comes to the other side of things, to be honest. I think there was probably a whirlwind of emotions and hope and belief and faith and terror and doubt that come into it. But I, I started to sort of think about this idea of blessed are those who have not seen. Because <laughs> uh, that really describes, I guess, me in a sense. And that, I, you know, I've seen the goodness of God in the land of the living, but when you put the, you know, the bar, like, seen Christ, <laughs> that's pretty high. And, and I realized that, to be honest, most of Christendom, outside of Thomas and the early apostles, um, have not seen and have had to exercise their faith in the absence of seeing. Now, who's heard the phrase, I need to see it to believe it? I need to see it to believe it. I need to experimentally verify that it's true because I need to see it to believe it. And who thinks they have a fairly good grip on reality? A slight grip on reality. What I mean is that, 
you have a relative confidence that um, if, if you see something with your eyes, like the way that I'm standing before you, that you are seeing an accurate picture of what's going on. No, no, is it you? No. Okay. Anybody feel that way at all? Just, just, just humor me. <laughs> so you feel that you have a good visual representation of my person, right? Okay. So if I move over here, you see that I'm moving. If I move back, you see that uh, you're moving, right? Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Yep. And Liam's going to spoil my message, right? Okay. But the reality is that you're all living about, on average, 80 milliseconds in the past. Pretty cool. I ruined his message. More or less. More or less. Some of your senses take a lot longer, and some of them are a bit shorter. But on average, you live about 80 milliseconds in the past. By the time you see something, you hear something, and what happens is um, it's already happened 80 milliseconds ago. How on earth can that happen? Like, surely you're thinking, what, I'm going through life with this very large lag? Yeah. Like, how on earth can I live like that? And uh, so, the reality is that we think we see things and hear things and touch things along those lines, and we think we have a good handle on that. But the raw signals of all of this information is actually a lot less straightforward. Um, the way the signals travel to our brain, the content of those signals, is a lot less than you think, or is very different to how you think. And so the brain spends an awful lot of time processing things and adjusting everything so that when you touch your nose and your navel, it's as though they're happening at the same time. It will, sorry, when you touch your nose and your navel at the same time, the brain perceives them as happening at the same time, rather than the fact that there's a difference between the amount of time it takes to process visual information, the amount of time it takes to process nerve information, auditory information, all of our senses. And so the brain slows everything down to the point of the slowest one. What about your visual representation? Why do you think you see what you see around you, but in reality you just, and your actual perception is a very, very small amount of that and the brain constructs a model of the world around you and just updates the critical bits as new bits and pieces come in. Or at least this is how we believe it, it, it currently works. Uh, this, is, this is what sort of what the evidence indicates for how, the model, and this produces some interesting effects. For example, um, well, when it's like the snake in the grass effect where you think you see a snake in the grass and you sort of jump, it's because the brain... Uh, no, like, snakes are dangerous, and so instead of spending a large amount of time working out whether or not it's a snake and doing the visual processing, it's just going, there's a snake, jump. Um, I believe it's a similar mechanism that causes cats to jump when they see cucumbers. So, so there's those sorts of things like that. The other thing that you often hear about is um, uh, people reporting when they're hitting a baseball, like, properly hitting a baseball thrown by someone who really knows what they're doing. Because of the 80 millisecond gap and the time of flight of the baseball being so low, they will see the pitcher release the ball and they will be conscious of having hit the ball, but they don't actually have um, the, 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 the visual and the experiential aspects of that. The brain just kind of like shuts down and focuses on, well, not shuts down, but it focuses on the important parts of hitting that ball, of reacting to that situation without having to uh, bother with all of the, the frilly bits. So... I think that's kind of cool, because in reality, our grip on, our grip on reality is, 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 I mean, is good and it works and it's beautiful in some respects, but it also kind of feels a little bit dodgy in its own, 
in its own sense. What? You tell me I'm living in the past, 80 milliseconds in the past? Which is a lot in terms of, you know, needing to react to things. Um, or that the brain is actually constructing a model and leaving bits out of the world around me that aren't really important, that, that I'm actually experiencing, in effect, my mind's own computer simulation of the world, not the world as it actually is. And this kind of stuff plays with your head. And so when people say to me, I need to see it to believe it, I say, well, I can understand that. And, and it's very important to do that. There's, you know, in science and verification, experimentation, making sure you do it. But if you've ever tried to do anything like that, it's actually really, really hard to get clear information half the time or confidence in this sort of stuff. It takes a large amount of effort and time to actually see things or measure things really, really well and have a high degree of confidence in the measurements. And, and you realize just how difficult these things are. And, and it starts to make you, you know, conscious of the fact that like, reality is, is interesting, seeing is interesting, but even if you see it, you sometimes have to test it again and again and again before you can truly believe it. If your threshold is, I have to see it to believe it. We walk in this world in many respects taking things on faith. In essence, we believe that the model that our brain constructs of the world around us is reasonably accurate and good enough for the purposes that we need to be able to make sure we don't walk into a wall or that when we eat, we actually manage to get food in our mouths, or which, you know, to be honest, that's where my brain model sometimes falls over. <laughs> and so we come back to Thomas, I need to see it to believe it. Blessed are those who have not seen. So how are we going to reconcile ourselves with this? I mean, we know that the world around us is a little bit dodgy, but we've been able to get along so well. But how does this relate back to belief? See, the great leap is that of faith. Um, people who insist on seeing God by some objective measure are always going to be argued in and argued out <laughs> of, of God because the necessary uh, revelation is one of faith. And within this line, I started to look at Hebrews 11, which is known as the faith chapter, right? And we're going to actually, I'm going to read it out loud because it's that good. Um, and I think it's really important and really encouraging and things like that. But it has the very definition Paul gives. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about that which we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith... We understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was made out of that which is not visible. I love that. I love that. What is seen, that which we can perceive, was made out of that which is not visible. In reality, it was made out of that which was not. <laughs> Full stop. Um, and then, by faith, Abel bought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. That is a great legacy. See, even in his death, Abel speaks to the faithfulness of God, because the faithfulness of God, to God's faithfulness, and of his own faithfulness in bringing an offering to God. By faith... Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found or seen because God took him away. 
For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, when Noah, when warned about things which he could not see, not only he could not see, he had no experiential reference of. Uh, he didn't, like, it would be as though, all right, you've experienced rain, right? Some of us are from very rainy climates um, yeah. and experienced rather a lot of rain in our lives, right? Imagine you'd never seen rain. Actually, this is going to be very, very difficult. <laughs> but imagine you've never seen rain. And God says to you, you know what? It's going to rain. And, and I mean, your first thing is, that this is a fascinating idea, but what is this rain we're speaking of? You know, firstly, what do you mean rain? Well, it's like water coming from the skies. Oh, I know water comes up from the ground. It's like, it's like coming from the skies. Like, really? It's like, like a large bucket. I mean, I just imagine, like, no wonder it took Noah 120 years to build the ark or, or however long it took. To be honest, it was probably the, spent the first 30 just trying to figure out what the heck was going on. Like, you know, terms of reference. Yeah. <laughs> Identifying relevant stakeholders. They spent, they spent the first year doing an environmental impact study. Something like that. Anyway, so Noah had to spend a lot of time with it. But the reality is that it was his faith in God that allowed him to believe and proceed, even though he had no uh, perceptual reference of what on earth was going to happen. You see, it's easy to look back on the story and say, well, that's brilliant, he did well. And I, I, I think the this is very hard but very rewarding is to put yourself in that kind of situation and saying, well, you know, if God called me to really do something, I mean, really do something, and I had no idea of the outcome, because when you read a story, you know how it's going to end, right? Boat, float, saved, start again. <laughs> but the reality is that life in the middle of, it, of that is quite complicated. You've got to deal with a lot of heckling. And you've got to deal with probably a lot of self-doubt. Like you have faith in God, but you're just sort of sitting there going, well, I know that this is your plan for me, God, but I'm not entirely sure that I'm going to be up to it. Or I don't know how this is going to work out. Or maybe we think we're, we're working, we have faith in God, but we think we're on the right path. And in reality, things you know, go a little bit south, and either through, either through something we've done or, or just misidentification or, or, or just the reality of life, Things don't work out. It can be very hard to have faith in the middle, or in the middle stretch. Yet, uh, the kind of the interesting thing is that, for me, is uh, exercising faith at the end of the narrative is not really exercising faith. It's true. Um, you know, the faith is the bridge that gets you through the narrative. So, you know, if Noah like said, "Look, I'm not," you know. I'm not super thinking about this, so I know you want to make big arcs, save animals, but look, let's just make a small cubby house that floats, and me and my family will get on that, right? And then at the end of it, it's like, well, look at my faith. And I'm like, well, at the end of it, yeah, okay, you got faith to believe, but in the middle, where it was important, that's where it was difficult in the faith. So um, I love this thing. It's like, had not seen faith in the middle stretch. By faith, Abram, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations. Sorry. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking forward to the city of God, whose architect and foundation. Sorry, city, city with foundations, whose <laughs> architect and builder is God. In other words, he had his high, his eyes set on this uh, real, but also perhaps metaphorical city of God. You know, uh, um, Star Trek term: the undiscovered country. Uh, this idea that, that there exists this place where, um, you know, that we can't see or that we have access to a little bit of, but not the whole revelation of, that represents a city whose architect and builder is God, both in a, maybe a physical sense, but also in a, in a spiritual sense, this city of God that exists. And um, this kingdom, heavenly kingdom of God. For, um, and even by faith, Sorry, by faith, even Sarah, who was past childing, childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise, him being God. And so from this one man, and he was as good as dead, <laughs> came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands in the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I love that. The idea that these people only saw echoes of what was to come, yet their faith was big enough to step into that. The reality is that they couldn't see the city. They could just hear the rumblings vaguely of something off in the distance they knew was coming, yet and had faith in their God that this was possible. They saw them, welcomed them as a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country not their own, and this has resonance in us today. We exist as Christians, as believers, as people with faith, in many respects as strangers and foreigners on earth. You know, we have this debate about um, migration all the time. And, uh, like, I understand the real-world impact of it, but there's a part of me that just sort of goes like, well, I mean, it does affect me because I guess Australia is my country and my home, but in the same manner, I'm a stranger and a foreigner in this land, on this earth, because the land that I seek is the city of God, not the city of man. And so... Fine, have all the arguments and debates that you want, but there's also this kind of this, well, it doesn't really affect me in some respects because, you know, uh, I long for that undiscovered country. Mm. Um, yeah. Rather than, rather than, you know, just the, the country built by man. And that, that, there's, it goes on, and, and I really want to... Um, I really want to save that for another time when we look through the rest of that verse. I honestly, if you're having a bad day, read, read Hebrews 11. Um, you know, the faith of the ancients, and you understand how it's basically a summary of all of the stories of the, the great people of the Old Testament who operated in faith even though they didn't really 
have a full revelation of what that was and were, were, were called uh, faithful by God. The other thing I wanted to go back one, and so from this one man, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. And right now, um, before we close, we're going to have some community. Um, I just really want to... Um, I just really want to talk to those who are maybe feeling in that category. Uh, yeah, so from this one man or woman, as good as dead. And, and, I, and, and I think part of it is some of us kind of laugh to that and think, yeah, Abram, old, as good as dead. <laughs> and some of us probably had a, had a little moment in the middle of that where they were just sort of saying, well, to be honest, that feels like me in parts of my life. You know, and that's not a question of age. It's just a question of, you know, you can be young and you just feel like, well, you know what, God, there's this area of my life uh, in which I feel like I'm done. I've spent, I've had a go, uh, I've been knocked down and I'm as good as dead in that region. And right now, what I want to say is that like Abram, there is an opportunity for you to have descendants as numerous as the stars. What does that mean? It's like, well, it's, we're not talking about children in this instance. What we're talking about is that you feel this area in your life that's just kind of been knocked down, pushed down, squashed over. It looks like a, a, a plant that's been trampled on a few times and is, is as good as dead. Yet, the reality is that God wants to bring that back to life because that's part of his plan. wants to raise up that dream, wants to raise up that desire. And what you have felt is pretty much ready for the fire is actually something that's going to bring a harvest of, of, a harvest of souls, uh, a harvest of resources, a harvest of knowledge, a harvest of growth in your Christian walk, um, a harvest of friendships and community. This, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's this harvest that is coming from some, you know, and, and this feeling that, that that which has been dead, God, or the nearly dead, as good as dead, is not dead. As it says in the princely, what is it, the princess bride, you know, mostly dead is not dead. <laughs> okay, and God, even though the princess bride can't work with this, God can work with mostly dead. <laughs> so um, we're going we're gonna to finish shortly. We're going to have a time of community. I'm going to finish in prayer that we would uh, thank you, Lord. Lord, we just, uh, we lift you up, Lord, that our faith is strengthened and that we are emboldened, Lord God, to walk in your purposes. Lord, we just lift up the things in our life, Lord God, that feel like they're mostly dead. God, raise our faith, Lord God. Strengthen us so that we can step into the harvest that is around the corner for these things. Lord, that dream, that goal, that perfect plan that you have placed in our hearts, Lord God, that it would not be quenched or extinguished, Lord God, through frustration or through circumstance, Father God, that we would press on despite circumstances, despite the internal model that our brain has created of our circumstances, our perception, Lord God, that we would not be focused on that model, Lord God, but rather your model, Lord God, of faith, of trust in your good plan, Lord God. Lord, help us as we work that we would not be discouraged because we walk this earth as foreigners and strangers, as aliens, Lord God, that we long for the day 